0: For being here today, and I welcome all those that are watching online as well. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. I know we're looking at snapshots of Jesus, and uh, I decided today to take the topic of the transfiguration and really excited to talk about it. Uh, I uh, wrote about the transfiguration in uh, my book, The Mountains Are Calling. Uh, I can remember, uh, I was, it was probably, I don't know, Nearly fifteen years ago, I was on my way to speak at a student camp in Colorado, and uh, you know most pastors, when they go to preach somewhere, they take uh, messages that they 've preached before okay so i don 't you know it, they heat them up all right Leftovers are good. I know a fresh meal's good, but leftovers are good too, you know I mean we sing the same songs every week, so we can hear a sermon the same. Uh, as well and so I had my uh, set of messages that I was going to take with me and uh, I I, I felt good about it you know that they they were what I would consider sugar sticks I knew they worked if you will and so I had them ready to roll and I'm on the plane and I'm looking out uh, the window uh, over the Rocky Mountains just beautiful we're getting ready to land and uh, all of a sudden uh, camp starts that night all of a sudden the Spirit of God Uh, just starts convicting me and said, here you are going to camp and you've got your sermons prepared and these students need a fresh word from me. And so I'm looking out the window and, and, and I'm, I'm sensing this in my spirit that God's saying, you got to, you know, you need to bring something fresh. And I said, Lord, that's great, but we're landing here in about 20 minutes and camp starts tonight. And, uh, I just couldn't, I could, the impression, uh, to preach, uh, uh, fresh messages that we wouldn't leave. And so I, I began to really desperately pray, God, what do you want me to, what do you want me to preach on? And here I am looking out the window, the mountains, and I grew up uh, going to church camp. I love, always loved camp. And uh, matter of fact, I've only missed one church camp in about the last 35 years. Uh, I was with our kids this year at camp. And uh, camp was always a mountaintop experience for me. You know what I'm talking about? Where you just sense the presence of God and, uh, it 's just uh, your relationship with him it 's almost palatable, tangible, and uh, camp was always that way to me and I just sensed the spirit of God say why don 't you why don 't you talk to these kids about what I did on mountains and I thought well what 'd you do on mountains and I got my Bible and I just started looking through there and just started highlighting things and uh, Camp was five nights, and uh, the first night i did moses on mount sinai and i talked about the giving of the law and how the law points us to christ uh, the next night i did mount carmel uh, elijah in the battle of the gods and i love that line where uh, elijah just basically uh, draws a line in the sand he says how long are you going to waver between two opinions if jesus is is god is yahweh he's lord follow him if, if Baal's Lord follow him, and so I talked to the students the second night about just making a decision. Uh, the third night was the Transfiguration it took place on Mount Hermon, and that's what we're going to talk about today and uh, it's just a beautiful passage of scripture and lo and behold, who was standing before Jesus at the Transfiguration but Moses and Elijah and what we see in this is that that Jesus is greater than the law, he's greater than the prophets. he's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And there he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. The next night, which is usually at camp, the decision night, right? They've been leading up to it. So I talked on Mount Calvary, talked about what Jesus did on Mount Calvary. And then the next night, uh, which is the last night there, they're getting ready to go home. Uh, I talked to, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus gives his great commission, it says he gave his great commission from an unnamed mountain in Galilee. And so I said, you know what, we're here on this mountaintop and some of us have had a mountaintop experience, but we're not supposed to live there. We're supposed to get off the mountaintop and go into the valleys of life and, and, and tell people what God did on the mountain. And so I talked to him, I thought, man, that'll pretty, and I knew right then I got fired up. That was going to be my first book project. And so I I went, uh, to our, uh, with my agent, our publishers and, uh, and we found, uh, we found four, there's a lot of mountains in scripture and I, I got to nine key ones, and they said, well, you got to find one more. And so uh, I picked another one, so Ten Key Mountains. And I wrote about the Mount of Transfiguration uh, in, the, uh, in The Mountains are Calling. And so I want to uh, just unpack it for us here. Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be. If you're taking notes, I always encourage you to take notes if you're given this message or this lesson a title. And, uh, you know, Mark's such a great teacher, and, uh, and, and he's in a class of his own. And so uh, I'm not even going to try to, to to teach as much as I am just going to preach at you because I miss preaching, all right? I miss preaching to you. So uh, you're going to get more preaching this morning. But if there was a title, uh, I would give it the name Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Now, uh, the northern part of Galilee, I want to show you an image of Mount Hermon on the screen. You'll see it there. And, uh, we always go to this sites on our trip to Israel. Uh, is there anybody from this class going to Israel with us in December? So we're gonna, we'll, we'll see this from a distance. We won't go to Mount Hermon, but you'll see it from a distance, uh, when we make our way to Caesarea Philippi. That's what it's very near, 9,000 feet above sea level due to its elevation there. It's typically always snow capped. It's just very, uh, beautiful. And, uh, what we learn, uh, from this Message: what we learn from what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration, if I was to put it in a sentence, here here would be the main takeaway uh, this morning. It's simply this, that God is revealing the glory of His Son, Jesus, to us. That's what we see in the Transfiguration. That He is revealing the glory of His Son, Jesus, to us. Now you know when Jesus walked the earth, there was much debate about who this man was was he, he showed up on the scene seemingly out of nowhere and he begins preaching a message of repentance that the kingdom of God is nearing he was teaching the Bible says as one who had authority and so people were taking notice of not only what Jesus said but how he said it along with his teaching ministry was his healing ministry this really turned some heads the fact that he was casting out demons that he was healing diseases and infirmities of all kinds he was showing love and grace to the outcast and to the sinners uh while at the same time the religious leaders he didn't have much tolerance for no one could figure jesus out who is this guy in fact if you remember nicodemus uh the one of the the rulers of the pharisees he came to jesus in john chapter 3 verse 2 and listen to what the bible says this man came to jesus by night and said to him rabbi we know that you are a teacher come from god For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, what Nicodemus is saying is, who are you? Like we know something's different about you. Tell us who you are. The Roman governor, he couldn't figure Jesus out. In the context of this passage of scripture here in Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bibles open there, just look back at verses 7 through 9. The Bible says this. Now here are the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening heard about Jesus teaching heard about his miracle working ministry and look what the scripture says he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old has risen Herod said John I beheaded but who is this about whom I hear such things and he sought to see him it was the question of the day who is this Jesus who is this miracle working rabbi that teaches with such authority Jesus posed this question uh, just about a week before this event on Mount Hermon would ever take place Luke chapter 9 look at verses 18 through 20 now it happened that he was praying alone the disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And notice how they answered him. Again, everybody wants to know, who is, who is this Jesus? And they answered John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And this you there, it's in its emphatic form. I mean, he was, he, it was point blank. Who do you say? Who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, You're the Christ of God. Now, very important to understand at the outset here that Scripture notes that if we were to just see Jesus physically, uh, there's nothing about him that would have raised our antennas that he was anything special. Outside of the signs that he performed, and they were huge signs, there was nothing different about Jesus. From anybody else living at that time. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2 the second part. Listen to what the Bible says. This is a prophecy of Isaiah. Describing what the Messiah would look like. He had no form. Or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. In other words Jesus didn't walk with a glow. Uh, Those old pictures where you see Jesus. And there's just this bright halo light behind his head. Not the case. He was just a regular son of a carpenter. I mean, his own family wasn't comfortable with some of the things that he was saying, some of the things that he was doing. Again, the scripture. Recall Mark chapter three, verse 21. Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him. And when he comes home, there was a crowd gathered to see Jesus because they had noticed his miracles, heard his teachings. And listen to what the Bible says, his own family, when they heard of it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind uh, so it wasn't Je- just that jesus was the middle child all right uh no they were looking at jesus what he was doing they were looking at jesus what he was teaching this is a man who didn't look any different everybody wanting to know who jesus is outside of his miracles which if we were there probably we would have done just like the crowd and written them off to either coincidence or demons probably wouldn't have said this is the son of God he was just like everyone else when Jesus was hungry he ate when he was tired he slept when he needed strength he prayed when he received news that his friend John the Baptist was beheaded he had emotions just like we have emotions the bible says he was sad when he was beaten he bled in other words the deity of christ the fact that jesus was 100 percent god was completely veiled when he walked this earth john wrote john chapter 1 verse 14 the first part and the word became flesh And dwelt among us. Paul put it like this. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 and 7. Who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God. A thing to be grasped. He emptied himself. Made himself nothing. By taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. Uh, The NIV study Bible describes this emptying. Describes Jesus making himself nothing. Listen to what it notes. He did this not by giving up deity, but by laying aside his glory and submitting to the humiliation of becoming man. So setting the transfiguration up, we need to understand that Jesus willingly laid aside his glory when he walked this earth to identify with man. He was God incognito. But here in this moment, on Mount Hermon, this snapshot of Jesus, this event that we know as the transfiguration, we get a glimpse of the glory that Jesus had before he left the confines of heaven, emptied himself, and came to earth. And we get a glimpse of what he looks like even now as he sits at the right hand of God. And what a beautiful picture it is. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28 I want to read through verse 36 the Bible says this now about eight days after these sayings he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray and as he was praying the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white and behold two men were talking with him Moses One for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. I love that. Only Jesus that's why I titled this message only Jesus Jesus found there alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen I remember years ago when the passion of the Christ came out uh, they were showing sneak previews uh, to groups of pastors and to churches and I was able to get in on a sneak preview of the passion of christ before it ever came out and if you remember when it was coming out it was all the news what it was going to be like mel gibson directing it and uh, i got to see a sneak preview of it uh, before anybody else got to see it sneak preview is for a limited amount of people you get to see the movie before anyone else does well what happens here on mount herman is that peter james and john they get a sneak preview this inner circle of jesus They're invited up to this mountain and as mentioned, uh, they see the glory that Jesus holds. Now I find it interesting and just a, a point of interest, I would encourage you to write this down if you're taking notes, that the transfiguration takes place following a time of prayer. Did you notice that? Verse 28 says they went up to the mountain to pray. I don't know if you've covered this in the snapshots of Jesus Um, but Luke makes much of the prayer life of Jesus. Before any significant decision Jesus ever made, before a a major teaching, oftentimes before a major miracle, uh, we see Jesus getting alone to pray. In fact, in Luke chapter 3, Jesus prays before he is baptized. In Luke chapter 4, before he begins his earthly ministry, He spends 40 days in the wilderness praying and fasting. In Luke chapter 6, the Bible tells us that he spent all night in prayer before he called his 12 disciples. This was such a big decision. He spent all night in prayer. And do you know where he went to pray? In every situation, he went to a mountain. It was a common custom for him to go to the mountains to pray. Luke chapter 9 Before he questions the disciples about who he is, look at Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Now it happened, look what the Bible says, that he was praying alone. And then here at the transfiguration, he takes his disciples up to the mountain for the purpose of prayer. Prayer was as natural to Jesus as breathing. The question I want to pose this morning as we consider this, is if jesus needed prayer this much if prayer was a priority to jesus is it a priority to you is it a priority for me we're talking about a mountaintop experience well mountaintop moments experiencing the presence of god it doesn't happen apart from prayer prayer is where we commune with god it's where we seek his face it's where we seek his will It's where we sit with our Bibles open and we listen to his voice through his word and by his spirit. Jesus knew the importance of prayer. He takes this inner circle up to the mountain for the sole purpose to pray. And so just a, a good question of application. Do you have, you know, this was a literal mountain for Jesus, but figuratively speaking, do you have your own mountain where you go to pray every day? You can experience the presence of God. I mean, that is the the privilege we have as believers in Christ is that God lives in us and we can meet with God. We can have a mountaintop moment every single day as we seek after the Lord. The question is, do you have a place, just like Jesus did, to go and pray? Where's your Mount Hermon? Is it your kitchen table? Is it your study at the house? Is it a side table at a local Starbucks? Wherever it is, it's a place you meet with God. And you know what's exciting about having a place to meet with God? Because you never know what He's going to teach you. You never know what He's going to show you. You never know when you meet with Jesus what He may ask of you. You never know. What you could experience when you open up God's word, which the Bible says is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and mirror, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is no ordinary book. When you read this book, it reads you. Performs soul surgery on you. You never know what you may experience. When you get to your mountain every single day, open up God's word and you begin to pray and seek after him. The disciples had no idea what they were about to experience in this moment. But look at verse 29. As Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. The synoptics each record... This episode in the life of Jesus, this snapshot of the transfiguration, Matthew's account tells us in Matthew 17, 2, and he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun. Mark's account, Mark chapter 9, verse 2, the second part, verse 3, and he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Now I just want to go on record here and say I go to my mountain an awful lot to pray and seek after God and this has never happened to me all right like I've never come down after spending time with the Lord and Debbie say Jared your face is glowing your clothes they're so white what's going on what happened this has never happened to me not once what we're seeing here in this moment is supernatural. Who Jesus is on the inside, a hundred percent God, deity, is being manifested on the outside for the first and only time we ever see in His public life. He is transfigured, the Bible says, before them, his face altered the word transfigure here it means to be changed it's where we get our word metamorphosis from this is this is caterpillar to butterfly all right if you're an 80s kid like me think incredible hulk okay if you're maybe younger think x-man mystique all right this is a radical transformation we see here jesus in all of his glory the deity of christ unveiled For physical eyes to see. Now it's important to understand in this. That Jesus is not. Is not reflecting God's glory in this moment. But instead the glory of God is radiating from within. He is God. This is important to take note of. In a moment we'll we'll talk about Moses. When he came down the mountain off Sinai. And he had the the law of God in his hand after spending 40 days on the mountain with God. Do you remember what the scripture said? Exodus chapter 34 verse 29. The Bible says, Then Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of testimony in his hand and he came down from the mountain and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. See, Moses reflected The glory of God Jesus radiated the glory of God and there's a big difference it's the difference between the sun and the moon the moon reflects the sun's light so with a full moon you see at night it's a reflection the sun that radiates light That's what was taking place here. The sun, it's not a reflection. It's the real deal. I mean, come on, Houston. It's the real deal. Just walk outside. That's why it's been 110 this summer. Uh, This is what we see here. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. See, there's something different about Jesus. He didn't reflect the glory of God. He radiated the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of his nature, the writer of Hebrews says. God is revealing the glory of his son Jesus to us in this moment and he's showing us in this snapshot that Jesus is unlike any other person that's ever walked this earth we're going to see in just a moment he's greater than Moses the great lawgiver he's greater than Elijah the great prophet as great as they are they don't come Close And isn't it amazing here in Luke's passage, verse 30, that's who shows up. The Bible says, behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Now, if there was ever a conversation to eavesdrop on, I mean, this was it. Can you imagine for a moment what they must have been talking about? Moses has been dead for over 1,400 years. Great lawgiver, the one that tutors us to Christ, if you will. The Bible prophesies that there would be a servant that came along that would be like him. Here Jesus is talking to Moses face to face. Elijah, the great prophet, been dead over 900 years. Here he is speaking with Jesus. These two men, again, they represent the entirety of the Old Testament. The law and the prophets. And they're having a conversation. Philip Ryken, former pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. and Former president of Wheaton writes this. When Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on the mountain. It was as if the whole Old Testament was standing up. To say everything was coming together in Christ. I love that. Everything's coming together. Everything points to Jesus. The Bible says they were were talking. Verb tense indicates an ongoing conversation. It was continuous. There was some back and forth going on here. I read this earlier this week. And I thought, you know, who would I want to have a conversation with from times past? You ever thought about that? Like if you could have a conversation with people who've gone before you. you, The first one I would want to, well, maybe not the first one, but one would be Spurgeon. Great preacher from England. I'd love, he he had 5,000 people coming to his church on a regular basis uh, when that was unheard of. Every week, um, the newspaper in London would print his sermons, all right? Now, if the Houston Chronicle ever decides to print my sermons, all right, that's going to be a good day. Um, I mean, that's Charles Spurgeon. I'd love to talk to him, man, called The Prince of Preachers. I'd just love to ask him, what was your study time like? What was your prayer time like? He had gout. How did that feel? You know, I just want to ask him everything. Um, I want to talk to A.W. Tozer, Aiden Wilson Tozer. Probably no author has had more of a profound impact on my life than. The Christian mystic, A.W. Tozer. His book, The Pursuit of God Next to the Bible, uh, was formative in my life. I'd love to talk to, I wanted to name one of my kids, Aiden Wilson, and Debbie wouldn't let me. She didn't like the name. Um, but I'd love to talk to, to A.W. Tozer. I'd love to have a conversation with Mama Lula and Papa Buford. Those names don't mean anything to you, but that's my great-grandparents who led my grandparents to Christ, who ultimately led my parents to Christ, you know, oftentimes we think, I did a funeral yesterday for a great man in our church, Wallace Perry, had the, those in attendance stand up who had been in his life group, and I bet 70% of the people there in an in a audience of about 300 stood up, he had taught them in a life group through the years, invested his life in them. Oftentimes, we we think uh, what our legacy is going to be uh, to our children and our grandchildren. We don't have to think about what it's going to be to our great grandchildren. How you live now matters. I mean, I'm, I'm ultimately here obviously the grace of god but because of a great grandma and great grandpa who lived their faith and passed their faith on so grateful for that i can't wait to have a conversation with them thank them for the impact that they've had there's others i could talk about the great missionary to china hudson taylor i want to talk to my buddy bo higgs who died as a junior in college one of my best friends in the world i want to get to paul and moses and elijah can't wait have a conversation with them, but this conversation happening here between Jesus and Moses and Elijah, talking about being a fly on the wall. We don't know the specifics of the conversation, but we do know the topic. Look at verse 30 and 31. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem now the word departure is literally the word exodus some of your Bibles may even make a note at the bottom of the page or in the cross reference to this it's an important word obviously Moses knew something about an exodus he had led God's people out of physical slavery and bondage of Pharaoh and Egypt and led them to the very foot of the promised land i think it's very fitting that he's speaking to jesus about another exodus that is coming and this is jesus leading god's people out of spiritual slavery spiritual bondage to a new promised land not only did moses know about an exodus in which he led he also knew that what it was an exit out of this world physically? Talking about Exodus, he died physically. And so he's speaking. Elijah, instead of a physical death, we know according to 2 Kings 2 2, he was raptured into heaven, taking into heaven into a whirlwind. So just consider this. Here are two men representing the entirety of the Old Testament the law and the prophets. One met a physical death, the other was raptured. We will all um, go into eternity in one of two ways, the same way these two men did. We will either have an exodus out of this world via a physical death, or if Jesus is to return, we will exit out of this world in a rapture. Either way, it's a departure from this world, it's an exodus. But as they stand there talking to Jesus, notice what the scripture says. They're not talking about the exodus that Moses led necessarily. They're not talking about their physical exodus out of this world that we know of. Look at what they're talking about. They're talking about his exodus, his departure, the departure of Christ, verse 31. And notice the confidence in which they speak. They said Jesus was about to accomplish this. Some of your Bibles say this is what he was to fulfill. This was going to happen. In fact, Jesus had talked about his departure in the same context of Scripture. Look at verse 21 and 22, Luke chapter 9. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, talking to his disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And where would all this take place? Where would this accomplishment happen? Verse 31, the scripture tells us, at Jerusalem. They're talking to Jesus about his departure, about his exodus that he is leading. All of it's going to happen at Jerusalem. Just as we are saved by faith. Looking back at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These Old Testament saints, how are they saved? The very same way. Instead of looking back by faith, they were looking forward by faith to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Our eternal security was sealed in Jerusalem. And Jesus does for us. He did for Moses and Elijah what they could never do for themselves. And that is died, paying the penalty of sin, raised by God on the third day, and that's ultimately what provides our exodus and paves the way to a brand new promised land, i.e. eternity with him. Now, this conversation takes place and at this point, these disciples have no idea what to do. In fact, look at their response in verse 32. First of all, they're sleeping, okay? Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Just a, again, another practical teaching point here. We, some of us may be missing intimacy with God on the mountain because we refuse to miss our sleep. I'm going to bed with the priority of getting up in the morning hitting that snooze button so that we don't get up and get to our mountain to spend time with the Lord. What just what could we be missing just because we're heavy with sleep? Leonard Ravenhill, great revivalist. I uh, went to his he's buried in East Texas from the UK. Great revivalist. Uh, but buried in East Texas. I went by his gravesite. I've got a picture of it in my office. And on his tombstone, he says, Is what you are living for worth Christ dying for? And he has this statement There is a price to be paid for spiritual growth. I just say that to you this morning to say, if you want to grow spiritually, may entail waking up a little bit earlier, getting to bed a little bit earlier, so that you can give your best to God. Look at verse 32, the second part. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory. They saw his glory. And the two men who stood with them, it's not hard to imagine the shock these guys must have been going through. First of all, they're asleep. They wake up. And then they see Jesus' transfigured altar talking to two men. They don't have a file for what's going on in this moment. And as the men were parting from him, Peter, who's already late to the party, said to Jesus, Master, it's good that we are here. You think so, Peter? You think it's good? Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. Translation, Peter says, we like being here. Let's stay on this mountaintop right here. This is good. Let's just settle down. Peter says, I'll make a tent for Moses. I'll make a tent for Elijah. I'll make a tent for Jesus. I'll make a tent for me. Maybe we'll include James and John. I don't know. We'll just stay on this mountain. This is is awesome right here. Let's just stay here. Peter wants to just stay on the mountain. And who wouldn't? Just a couple of thoughts, though. First is, Peter's talking and no one asked him anything. You notice that? He had, he had foot and mouth disease, right? Always putting his foot in his mouth. Wearing peppermint socks. He opens his mouth and searches his foot. Mark's account of this tells us that Peter, James, and John, they were terrified at what they were seeing. They didn't know what to say. That's why the end of verse 33 says Peter, he didn't even know what he had said. So let's give him some grace. But it seems in the midst of this emotionally overwhelming event, Peter forgot that just a, a week ago, he had looked Christ in the eyes when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the anointed one He told Jesus to his face in that confession. You're greater than Moses. You're greater than Elijah. You're greater than John the Baptist. You're greater than any of the other prophets. And now he's wanting to build a tent for Elijah and for Moses and Jesus essentially putting them on the same level. But they're not on the same level. Jesus is greater. And what happens is further evidence of this fact. Again, what this mountain is teaching us is that it's all about Jesus. God is showing us the glory of his son, Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Look at verse 34. And as he was saying these things, Peter's voice is about to be cut off by a more important voice. A cloud came and overshadowed them. The cloud symbolized the glory of God, the manifest presence of God, his weight. The Shekinah glory of God right here. We see this presence in the Old Testament when it filled the temple. We see it when Solomon dedicates the temple. This is a visible manifestation of the invisible God. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud. Same words spoken at the baptism of Jesus. The affirmation of his father. It began when his ministry started with his baptism... And it continues as he marches toward Jerusalem. And these are the words that he hears loud and clear. This is the greatest endorsement you could ever get from God the Father saying, this is my son, my chosen one. In other words, there's no one like Jesus. Better than the lawgiver. Greater than the prophet. There's no one like Jesus. And the scripture says, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found, what? Alone. Only Jesus. Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 17, verse 8. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Mark's account, Mark chapter 9, verse 8. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Only Jesus. This is what Mount Hermon teaches us. That God reveals the glory of his son Jesus to us and teaches us that everything is about him. Jesus has no rivals. Our life should revolve around Jesus. And oftentimes we live as if it revolves around us, don't we? One commentator I read in studying for this passage said this. Moses and Elijah salute their divine successor and then leave him alone in his unchallenged supremacy, the sole object of his disciples' veneration. He's the one we worship. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we hold up. He's the one that we esteem. It's all about jesus sole object of our veneration sole object of our worship and so the question is does this describe your life is your life's passions and goals and everything that you do all that you are Does it revolve around Jesus? Or do we treat him as if he's our genie in a bottle? And when we want something, that's when we go to our mountain to pray. When we need something, that's when we go to our mountain to pray. Now, Jesus, he wants to invite you to this mountain in scripture so that you see exactly what Peter and James and John saw that day you see his glory because when you see the glory of God changes you forever I mean people who can say they're Christians and their life doesn't change their priorities don't shift The way they live their life doesn't reorient. They haven't truly seen the glory of God. Because you don't see the glory of God and stay the same. It changed these men. The apostle John never forgot this moment. He wrote about it in the opening of his gospel. John chapter 1 verse 12, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then look at what John said. He wrote, We have seen his glory. We saw it on the mountain. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is what Jesus wants. He wants us to see his glory. When we see his glory, our careers aren't near as important, our problems won't be near as big, our ambitions, our dreams, they don't seem nearly as appealing. It's all about seeing His glory. <coughs> now some are thinking. I'm closing up right here. Some are thinking. Well, Jarrett, if I saw what Peter James and John saw, like if I saw Jesus transfigured, face altered, clothes became bleach-white. Well, of course I'd be different. Of course I'd change if I saw that with my physical eyes. Is that true? Peter would write, John never forgot the moment, Peter never forgot it either. (coughs) Listen to what he writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 19. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Look at what he says. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word, look at this, more fully confirmed, a more sure word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. In other words, (coughs) in hearing God's word today, whenever you open up God's word, you're experiencing the glory of Christ. It's a, it's a more sure word. We don't need a visitation, like these men experienced, to know Jesus, to follow Him, to worship, him, worship Him. According to this, we have something more sure, more fully confirmed, and that is His Word. And so, if you want to ascend to the mountain, experience His presence, get a glimpse of His glory. If you want to live for Jesus, only Jesus, then it starts by giving your heart to him and then giving your life to his word. And when you give your life to his word, you experience his glory and you'll never ever forget it or get over it. This, is where we meet Christ. So get to your mountain first thing every day and spend time with Christ and he will transfigure your life over time. He will change you day by day by day as you grow to be more and more like him. Amen? Let's pray together and then I'll turn it over to somebody. All right, here we go. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for our time together today. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this snapshot of Jesus in the transfiguration that shows us that Jesus is different than any person that's ever lived, no matter how great they are. Greater than the lawgiver Moses, greater than the prophet Elijah. Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of god so father we we pray that just as you were transfigured that god as we spend time with you in your word we too will be transfigured it's in the name of jesus we pray everybody said amen